The winner is. 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 And the winner is. What's the like of seeing your luggage? Sometimes. That means sometimes. There can be a hundred people in a room. Maybe there is right now. I know it's tuna, but it, it says chicken. I don't know her. She always has these long lists of like diva demands. Cheetos and Doritos. Great gowns, beautiful gowns. I understand you embrace the term diva. Hello Divas, Divos, and Divs. Welcome to another episode of Diva Dailies, where we deconstruct divas in film, television, and music. Before I bring in the co-host, if you're interested in following us, you can find us on social media at Diva Dailies Pod on Instagram, Twitter, the Clock app, Threads. I'm sure Threads is still up. Maybe, possibly, I don't know. Check us out or email us at divadailiespod at gmail.com. And if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please do not forget to rate, review. We will shout you out, subscribe, and leave a review. Reach out to us in any way, and we will read your message on the pod or play it if you send a voice message. So now, I think I hear Sandra O oh in the distance. Steffi. Gupta. Uh, no, sir. Mm-hmm. Queen is coming. Hello, Gupta. <laughs> She's here. That's me. Oh my gosh, Gupta. <laughs> there is a a point in time where you were hosting so much that I have forgot Sandra O oh was your opener. Like, I mean, how can you forget that? Literally, my cover photo on Twitter <laughs> is a picture of. Gupta and Sandra O oh recreating her Gupta moment. So, well, you guys, we are finally resuming regular programming on the pod because we took two weeks to celebrate reaching 100 episodes. Yes. So thank you guys for all of the wonderful feedback and for celebrating with us these past two weeks. It was really, really fun. Angie, I think we should get into some listener feedback because we do have some questions that didn't make those episodes that now we can start answering them yes let's do it Janet okay well Angie the first question is actually from my friends Melanie and Miranda because they went to a concert last night they always go to see shows in California and they want to know if you have heard wait let me get their exact question hold on I feel the pressure okay this is from Miranda she said Mel and I just saw Little Sims live I need to know if Angie has listened to her stuff she's so legit so Angie have you listened to Little Sims I don't know who this person is Lil Sims? Oh my god, you don't know who Lil Sims is? Angie, you're like the music head here, and I am like the fucking fossil of music (laughs) on this podcast, so... Lil Sims. You have to look her up. She's from the UK. Mm. She's like um, a rapper. Okay. She has a really good Brit Awards performance. So then a question back to them is... What what am I? Like, is this telephone? (laughs) Like... (laughs) Yep, uh... It's 
what is the album I should listen to? Well, Melanie Miranda, there you go. Um, Angie has a direct question for you. Um, I don't even know what I'm doing on this podcast anymore. (laughs) If I'm just like middleman here. So listen, (laughs) I will get back. I will get back to you on that when they reply. For sure. Thank you. I appreciate it. I thought we could end this um, listener feedback with some Amy related feedback since we're talking about Amy Winehouse today. So, um, the first is from uh, Lungazula. So Lungazula said, Hi, Steffi and Angie. Enjoy the Amy episode part one. Cannot wait for part two. This was definitely her magnum opus album, LOL, even though she had two. I love how you guys reference different songs in relation to some of her songs on the album. And then they just, um, this person requested as well if we could make a playlist of songs that we reference in the episode. Oh. So... Which I actually did. You did. And Loon Gazula, I hope you've seen that. So if you guys um, didn't know, we actually have like a Spotify mm-hmm. like account where you can follow us. And Angie makes playlists like for Diva 101 Essentials. And this is something that we could be doing uh, moving forward is making like a playlist with the songs that we reference yeah. in specific episodes. And um, hopefully like over time, I could go back and do that for the previous episodes we've done. Um, Because that shouldn't be too laborious on my end to do. Ooh, big word. Yeah, (laughs) I know. Um, Okay, and then um, we have an email. We have an email regarding Amy. Okay, so this is a really cool email that we got from Barry. Okay. His name is Barry. I'll just leave it at that. And the title of the email is Mike Encounters with Amy Winehouse in London. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so this is a bit of a long email, but I think it's really interesting to read. So here we go, Barry. Um, It reads, Hi, Steffi and Angie. For some reason, I felt compelled to share this. I think you'll find it interesting and kind of puts a little of a UK spin on the Amy Winehouse experience. I was and still am a massive fan of Frank when it came out. Obsessed, played on repeat, literally kind of obsessed. When she was still in the becoming known phase, I went with some friends to the Barbican Center to see called Billy and Me in 2005, which was a tribute to Billie Holiday. Here's the lineup. Carlene Anderson, Fontella Bass, Yolanda Baven, Dee Dee Bridgewater, Terry Lynn Carrington, Nina Cherry. Oh, Nina Cherry. You know who really likes Nina Cherry? Mel B. Oh. Mel B really likes Nina Cherry. Um, Farrah Jasmine Griffin, Lala Hathaway, Chrissy Hind, Angelica Kidjo, Michelle, uh, oh my God, how do you pronounce her name again? N- oh, and Ngo Cello. No, yeah, Ngo Cello, Sushila Raman, and Amy Winehouse. So there's a lot of people. Yeah. All I remember is how nervous Amy Winehouse was to perform, and that she was helped by Dee Dee Bridgewater. It was very sweet and heart and heartwarming moment. The kindness and generosity Dee Dee Bridgewater showed was everything. Then I was standing next to Amy in the foyer during the interval. I was covertly observing her. She seemed normal and sweet. This was her pre-back-to-black look and pre-weight loss. Mm. Flash forward to 2006. I was working at Riverside Studios in Hammersmith as theater marketing manager. It had working TV studios in the building that were usually hired out to film musical performance shows for TV. I was never aware of who was in the building in advance. On this particular day, I went outside the front of the building for a cigarette break. I no longer smoke, FYI. The street was always very quiet off the beaten track. 
I was alone until Amy Winehouse came out with who I suspect to be a young man who was working for her publicist or agent or record label or something. They were in conversation and she was having a smoke. It was just the three of us, no interaction with me, however, but I got to observe her close up. All was normal. She was just Amy. No drama or anything. This was just as Back to Black was launching, so she was in her Ronettes guise and thinner than before. Wow. Then, later that day, I left work to attend a taping of the Charlotte Church Show, a TV talk show with musical guests. Charlotte is a singer herself, and what would you know, that night's special guest was Amy Winehouse. I had no idea who the guests were. I just booked to see a taping. Anyway, the show was set up that once a guest came onto the sofa, they would remain when the next guest came and so on. I believe Amy was first or second. She seemed a little lit or tipsy. It was evident, but not too disruptive. During the breaks, they took where a commercial break would be. She would get up and go off stage. When she returned, this was twice, she was more gone than the last time. She ended up really quite gone, from silly drunk to I've been doing lots of drugs gone. The show traditionally ended with a duet between Charlotte and the musical guest. Amy was trying her best, but it wasn't much use. They were singing Michael Jackson's Beat It. Normally during these shows, they record a musical performance twice to have choices when editing for broadcast. They got through the song only once, but it took about six times to get to the end. Amy was slurring, and then the microphone would slip out of her hand while singing. Charlotte Church was looking pretty annoyed at it all. I found it extremely painful because it was obvious Amy was going through something. Unfortunately, the clip from the show is available on YouTube. Oh my god! She's been asked about this appearance, and her explanation is very different from what we experienced sitting in the audience. Remember, what the clip shows is the best they could do with what they had. This was also when I started to see how she was beginning to be perceived by the public, as there was a group of what would be described in America as a small group of frat boys and sorority girls just out of college and were going on an outing after work who found the state she was in and her disintegration throughout the show hysterically funny. It is a strange thing to think about. Through three encounters in a small space of time, I was strangely witness to an evolution of Amy. She's one of those artists who has always been able to get under my skin, and I'm grateful to have been able to latch on early in her career. She was doing loads of gigs in the UK, but it quickly became known that it was a crapshoot which Amy you'd get if she showed at all, so I stayed away. I was content with having the close encounters mentioned above. I didn't want to have to feel that pain if I got the wrong Amy live. On a side note, I love your pod, your musical knowledge, and the ability to provide an informed critique that is separate from personal tastes and passions is everything. You put others to shame. Looking forward to the second part of Back to Black and everything else in the future. Your talents are needed. Um, and then they said, uh, older than you think, actually American, but moved to London in 1998. Oh, and then they found me through watching the reaction YouTube videos over the years. Thanks for those two. And then Barry also said, forgot to add, I don't know what was included in the US version of Back to Black, but Addicted was a hidden track on the UK release from the beginning. I have a feeling it was too much of the US market. Yeah, that's crazy. What a story, Barry. That's absolutely crazy. Wow. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I thought like when I when I got that email, yeah. I was like, wow, that's so cool. But like also really interesting that right. he had these three random encounters with Amy. But even in those brief moments that he had with her, he saw how much she had changed. Right, right. You know? Yeah. Especially in such like a short amount of time. Right. That's the sad part. Yeah. That's the sad part. Um, I feel like that is a perfect leeway to get into this sad episode yeah this is a this is a sad one and it's our last in the last album of series 
Yes. So um, we recorded this a while back, but we hope right. you guys enjoy this. And we hope you enjoyed this entire series too. Welcome to part two of our Amy Winehouse Back to Black Diva Discography episode. When doing these Diva Discography episodes where we talk about a specific album, the conversation, as you guys know, if you guys are returning listeners, will be divided into two parts. Part one, reviewing the album track by track, which we did last week. So if you haven't listened to that episode, make sure you check that out. And then part two, we're reviewing the era, talking career context, scandals, controversies, music videos, live performances, how the album era was marketed, stats, and cultural legacy and impact. And for this episode, we have a lot to go over. Yes. Miss Winehouse, she went through a lot. So she did. Let me start off by saying this at the top of the episode. There will be trigger warnings. I just want to say that I will let you know when we're about to start a topic that might be triggering. I'm like, this entire episode is a trigger warning. It, it really is. <laughs> so. <laughs> it's a dark episode. <laughs> oh, no. Um. So let's get into it. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay. Pretty legendary, if you ask me. I love it. And this era will always have such a close place in my heart. Like, I cherish every era. So, first segment is popcorn and pop stars. This is where we give career context to the artists. <laughs> so, Steffi, where was Amy Winehouse at this point in her career? Break it down. Okay, well, first, I have a question for you. Yes. Did you get a chance to watch the Amy documentary? Yes. Oh, you did? I literally, I just finished watching it maybe an hour and a half before we started recording. Perfect. And it was sad. So you're like really in the mode. Okay. Yeah. Angie and I, we didn't watch the Amy documentary before doing part one, but now we have. And I feel like if we had watched the documentary before part one, our review might have been a bit different. (laughs) It would have been, yes. (laughs) Absolutely. But also bringing up the documentary because you guys should definitely watch that. And I will be heavily referencing the documentary for part two. As you should. Okay. So where Amy Winehouse was at during this time was she was coming off of the success of her debut album, Frank, which was released in 2003. And it was critically well received. Um, It was certified three times platinum in the UK. And she even won an Ivor Novella Award for her song, Stronger Than Me. And that's an award for songwriting. Just to be stronger than me. You've been here seven years longer than me. Don't you know you're supposed to be the man? Not pale in comparison to who you think I am. You always want to so- It was a pretty successful album for Amy. It wasn't a huge crossover, but critically, it was a well-acknowledged album. Right. This next album, I'm probably not going to be working with anyone because I'm a difficult person. I'm not interested. Because I'm not interested in hearing what people think I should do with my music. I'm I'm like, great, good for you. Go and send the tracks to Katie Malua or someone. I don't care. 
because I, I have a strong vision and you know that's the thing that drives me is doing that because if I didn't have that I'd give up now if I didn't have the will to do that I'd give up now and if I was 100% satisfied with the last album I'd give up now as well which is exactly why I'm going to keep doing it until I have that in my hands and then I guess what the 100% perfect yes, album yeah and then I guess I'll go and have some kids or something do you think you'll ever get the 100% perfect album yes otherwise I would die trying yeah, I would die trying so then, following the success of Frank, we are now January 2005, and this is when she meets a young man by the name of Blake Fielder Sipple. We met in a pub in a good mixer in Camden. I was at the bar, and then she came in. We just sort of started playing pool, and we went to another pub. And then we went back to Amy's house. She was seeing somebody else, and I was seeing somebody else. I don't think of it as infidelity. I just thought she was like a young girl and she was a bit naughty. But I was the same. Yikes. Yikes. It's a big yikes because... This man is trash. And it's crazy how fast, like once he comes into the picture, how fast everything took a downhill turn. It's pretty insane. I mean, I feel like if I were to use a diva analogy, if Whitney Houston had Bobby Brown, hmm. Amy Winehouse had Blake Fielder Civil. Absolutely. That's a great analogy. Yeah. So for non-Amy Winehouse fans, Blake Fielder Civil was a guy who worked in the club scene and he was at the time helping to promote underground bands. And that's kind of how him and Amy's paths cross at the time. Also important to note that when they meet, they were seeing other people. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's important to the story. Okay. So they have a tumultuous relationship that lasts for several years and he's a really important person in the Amy Winehouse story because basically their relationship is a huge inspiration behind Back to Black. Yeah. And he's a huge catalyst for her downfall because he practically ruins her life. Yeah. Blake was very quickly becoming bigger and bigger character in all this. She was with him the whole time and didn't want to go places without him. She used to say we're like twins, and that was our relationship. I'd like to sabotage myself, and I think Amy liked to sabotage herself. Maybe that was our nature. So at this time as well, because she's spending so much time with Blake, the record label is starting to get impatient with Amy, and they're like, where's your follow-up? Yeah. Because <laughs> you're not producing right. any music. And I said, enough, I need another album. Now go and write one. This is horseshit. Frank was then, this is now. They were going to forget you. So then, after spending some time together, Blake tells Amy one day over, I believe, I think this is um, over a text message or over a phone call during a summer holiday that he's not going to leave his girlfriend for Amy. Instead, he's going to go back to the girlfriend. Because remember, when they met, they were seeing other people. I just said to her that I didn't want to leave my girlfriend, and we'd probably be better as friends. She was obsessing over these text messages. He wanted nothing to do with her, and she was obsessing over it. All she wanted was for him to want to see her. So obviously, Amy gets really pissed, and as revenge, she sleeps with his friend. Ooh. Drama! <laughs> Messy! <laughs> I knew it would be the nail in the coffin. I knew that when he found out, he wouldn't be able to talk to me ever again. And I knew I had to do that because one of us had to finish the other one off. Because we just broke each other's hearts repeatedly. 
So then after that whole like fiasco, we're now at the end of 2005 and the record label is about ready to drop her ass because she's busy with Blake. So eventually Amy goes to Salam Raimi's place in Miami, who is one of the producers of Back to Black. And this is when she actually starts to focus and starts writing the album based off of all of the drama that just occurred in her life. Guy calls me up like, hey, you sure you want to do this? And I was like, listen, even if you dropped her, I would pay her to come to my house and sing because the shit fucking moves me. And she sat out in my back garden for about four days. She just take her little notebook and just keep writing. That's where Amy was at personally. But then I also have some notes here about musically where the industry was at the time, because I think that's important for Back to Black. Super important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Back to Black is released in October of 2006. And so like I usually do, I was looking at the Billboard year end Hot 100 singles charts of 2006 just to like gauge what was popular at the time. So at number 10 was Check On It by Beyonce. Period. A bop. Also at number nine, you have Sexy Back, Justin Timberlake. Mm. I'm bringing sexy back. At number three was Promiscuous, Nelly Furtado. Yeah, the Timbaland era. Also at number eight was Chameleonaire's Ride-In. Number five, um, you have Shakira with Hips Don't Lie. This was an era. Let me yeah, tell this you. was an era. This is like middle school for me. At number two, you have Temperature by Sean Paul. Sean Paul was so big this era. So you have like in your top 10, at least in America, it's like very Timbaland heavy. Yeah. Very hip hop. Yes. Reggae and Latin. Yes. It feels mm-hmm. like summer. Absolutely. But interestingly, at number seven is Gnarls Barkley's Crazy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was such a huge hit. Does that make me crazy? And it's interesting when you think about Naros Barkley's Crazy in context with these other songs, because for me, I feel like it's kind of a relative to Amy's sound at this time. Absolutely. Because it's definitely like a bit more chill and understated compared to the rest of the top 10. Yeah. And it feels a bit retro. Yes. And there's like that funk and soul element that was present on Back to Black. Absolutely. And I feel like it's important to to understand what was going on in the R&B section of music even though hip-hop and pop was key but there was this r&b movement that definitely had retro moments you heard it in like alicia key's music you 
heard it in the neo-soul movements at the time, whether it be like a Jill Scott. We were taking a step back into like the funk elements. If I could give you the world on a silver platter, would it even matter? You'd still be mad at me. That was the time in R&B, for sure. Also during this time, too... And this is very nostalgic for Angie and I. There was a very popular music programming that VH1 was doing in the States, and it's called VH1 Artists You Oughta Know. Yes. And this started in 2003. And for the non-American listeners, this was basically a music program that introduced non-American artists to America. Yeah. And they were usually singer-songwriters. And what they would do on this program is they would essentially play their music videos on a loop. Mm-hmm. And then also music journalists would interview them. Yeah. And if you watched music videos in the mornings or on the weekends, like this VH1 artist you ought to know was on all the time. All the time. And so it helped these artists cross over in a major way. So from the UK at this time, the artist that went through this like VH1 Artist You Want to Know program, it was like Adele. It was Duffy. When I get to Warwick Avenue, It was Corinne Bailey Ray. But also from the UK, obviously, as well as Amy Winehouse. From Scotland, you had Katie Tunstall. I love this artist. His name is Paolo Nutini. So let's get down and dirty, baby. Let's get restless, baby. Come on, get crazy with me. And I said when But aside from this music program existing, the important thing with VH1 artists you ought to know was that it was actually translating to major chart success at the time. Mm. So the number one song. You may have noticed that I didn't say what the number one song was at the year end of 2006. The number one song was by a Canadian singer-songwriter by the name of Daniel Powder, and it was a song called Bad Day. I'm sure I know this song. Do you remember? Because you had a bad day. literally American Idol song when people got cut. Yeah, Bad Day is going to play because you had a bad day. Because you had a bad day. You take one down. But yeah, he was a VH1 artist, you ought to know. Okay. As well as um, the number four song at the year end of 2006 was James Blunt. Oh. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. So that was the impact of VH1 Artists You Ought to Know, is that it primed American consumers to non-American music acts, and it was a way for these non-American music acts to cross over, as well as 
it gave a place for just singer songwriters in the charts mm -hmm. in light of the hip hop and R and B yeah. and reggae and Latin that was taking over in the top ten. Yeah. So with all of that being taken into consideration, it just perfectly sets up Amy Winehouse. I definitely agree. Definitely agree. This was like the last era where we had like traditional music industry elements. Yeah. Because then we're getting into this like super digital era uh -huh. and then everything changes and then YouTube drops and then you have streaming and you have all of that. Right. And the industry changes. But this is like the early 2000s is the last of like the traditional music industry like traditions. Yeah. It was like these major mainstream outlets mm -hmm. the traditional media that was still supporting yes artists yeah and i think that also because you know with the internet and social media that's why everything is so fragmented now Absolutely. it's kind of hard to really pinpoint like how popular something is because yeah. we're all kind of living in our own right. bubbles that we've created yeah but this is still when there was this sense of mono pop culture oh absolutely like these were the big artists because these were the artists that these major outlets were pushing out yeah you know yeah it is kind of interesting to think like i don't know how amy would have if she was an up-and-coming artist now how she would have been able to filter out mm -hmm. from the noise because i mean she's like really cool yeah yeah, she, yeah she's very unique she has a distinct look i'm sure like people would have eventually found her but it is kind of an interesting hypothetical to think like with someone as talented as her, would she have been able to rise yeah. and be as big as she was in the, the mid 2000s? I don't know. Right. That's like the same conversation that could be said for pretty much the British wave yeah. of that time. Adele, Krim Bailey, Ray, Duffy. Right. Had they come out in this era, I don't know if they would have been as big. Right. Especially Adele, because Adele's momentum was slow. 19 kind of was slow. Chasing Pavements was like gradually doing its thing and then 21 comes out and it's like oh you know same thing with amy winehouse like especially stateside it was like this gradual thing and then back to black right boom you know but that's what the good thing about you know vh1 artists you ought to know was that they helped facilitate absolutely that transition and crossover for them yeah 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 absolutely so steffi yes why do you think Amy Winehouse did the album and more specifically what do you think she was trying to accomplish with this album in particular okay well I think a huge reason why she did this album was there was obvious pressure from her label because they wanted the follow-up to break <laughs> yeah. so yeah. contractual obligation <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um the second reason why I think she did this album too is she was using this as a creative outlet for her relationship with Blake and it was a chance for her to write about that relationship but she wasn't necessarily like exposing him it wasn't like a I'm gonna look through the lyrics to see what really went wrong it wasn't like right. that kind of album it was more of like an emotional purge <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely when I started writing the first song about Blake the other songs just wrote themselves I really was on a roll because I had these feelings I had these words floating around in me you write a song, you have to remember how you felt. You have to remember what the weather was like. You have to remember what his neck smelled like. You have to remember all of it. She would tell me stories about Blake and this tempestuous, extreme relationship. That first day she wrote Back to Black all the lyrics and the melody in two or three hours. 
is Dick West with his same old safe bag. The interesting part is a lot of these artists, they didn't have the freedom to like drop an album whenever they wanted to. Yeah. It was literally like, yo, you're on contract and we're trying to make money because again, this was a business and to have the kind of success she had with Frank and then to not follow up with that for a business standpoint is insane. Right. Um. So the record label was definitely like, yes, no, no, no. Get there. Make an album, you know? It's like kind of like with the Spice Girls, who they're also a British act. Yeah. Like A.B. Winehouse. Like that turnaround between the first and the second album was quick. Absolutely. Because they were like, strike while the iron is hot. Yeah. Within a year, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 That was... We're going to talk about this later. A big part of her downfall was them pushing so hard to make the money instead of thinking about the artist as a person, as a human being, yeah. instead of like this money-making tool, you know? Yeah. And then my last note here is just I have that she knew that when she was making this album, it was a more accessible mm. album than the first. Would you go as far as say it's a bit more accessible than your debut I, suppose it more, I say it was more accessible it's not necessarily more poppy but you know jazz is quite an exclusive not uh, it's quite an elitist music mm. you know and my this album's a lot less like that let's get into spill the technicolor tea who is it mrs potts dear i thought you might like a spot of tea this is going to be a big moment of this episode trigger warning as for the whole episode, but specifically, we're going to be talking about drug addiction, body image, basically anything that could go wrong in junction with drug addiction and addiction in itself, we're going to be talking about. So be prepared for that. Yeah. But spill the Technicolor tea. This is part of the show where we talk about the scandals and controversies from this era. And like I said, there's a lot. So let's get into it. It's like nice to have a little tea party every once in a while. Steffi, break it down. Okay, well, around the time of writing Back to Black, like Angie said, Amy was going through a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Point one, she... <laughs> you said bullet point. diagnosis, here we go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, man. Well, point one was depression. Mm-hmm. So because of this tumultuous relationship she has with Blake, she fell into a deep depression after her breakup. The thing is, because is, I was depressed, I wasn't eating. Obviously, mm. like, you lose your appetite, you know, when you yeah. like with stuff like that. So it wasn't, like, the amount I was drinking. It was more just be, like, it was just very irresponsible, you know? So you drink as soon as you got up in the morning? Yeah, yeah. literally wake up and go for a bottle. Moving on to... There was an attempted rehab right. at this point. Yeah. Um, she had a manager by the name of Nick Schmansky. And he tells the story in the Amy documentary about driving Amy out into the woods because they're going to hold a solo intervention for her there. And the idea was they were not going to leave the woods until she acknowledged that she needed help. And then she just broke down eventually, opened up about everything, said she thinks she's got a problem, she was lost and out of her depth. Horrible. By the end of this meeting, Amy agrees to go to rehab. So then Nick takes her to a rehab guy. But before she goes, Amy says, I'm not going to go unless my dad tells me I need to go. So the manager calls up Mitch, who is Amy's dad. And Mitch says, I said to the managers, 
she doesn't need to go to rehab. She's fine. My dad did actually go, you're all right, I don't need to go. So I said, all right, dad, I'll go and meet him and then we'll back out, which I did. And basically, this entire incident is the first verse of rehab, the song. They tried to make me go to rehab. I said, no, no, no. Yes, I've been black, but when I come back, no, no, no. A dark album, let me tell you. <laughs> A really dark album. When we when we sit back and review it, it's a really dark album. It's really dark. Yeah. And to your point earlier, this is also the moment in the documentary where Nick, the manager, like I believe there were actually good people in Amy's life. It's just the bad people mm-hmm. circled her more closely than the good people. So yeah. this Nick guy, it seems, was one of the good guys. And he mm-hmm. admits in the documentary that this moment right here was a huge missed opportunity and that they should have not cared about Back to Black because even if it meant that the album would have not been made, this was the moment that they could have helped her out before she became, like, super famous. Yeah. I think that was a moment we lost a very key opportunity. I'm not saying it would have worked. Very often you have to go two or three times, but she wasn't a star. She wasn't swarmed by paparazzi. We could have just fucked Back to Black off and Back to Black might have never happened, but she'd have had a chance to have been dealt with by professionals before the world wanted a piece of her. Amy kind of joins that legacy of female artists who their life could have gone a certain way had they, in that particular moment, thought about you know, them as the person instead of them as the artist. Because there's a long legacy of female artists, especially that that's a trend. Absolutely. Absolutely. This was the, this was her fork in the road. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And unfortunately, a lot of the horrible influential people in her life guided her to this downward path. Um, Yeah. Well, the third note I have is during this time as well, Amy Winehouse's grandmother dies. Mm, yeah. And she had a really close relationship with her. I think she refers to her as like the mother she never had. Mm-hmm. So this like, I mean, she's already in a dark place. So this like pushes her even further. Yeah. Cynthia was a very strong person in her life and used to tell her how it is. So it was horrible for her. That killed her inside. And then on top of that, she had an eating disorder. Yeah. So people at the time think that because of the death of her grandmother, that kind of exacerbated her bulimia. And yeah, pretty much she was dealing with bulimia for a good chunk of her life. And she told her parents at a young age, like, I had a, I have a special diet yeah. where I can eat whatever I want, but then I'm going to throw it all up. Yeah. And I remember like during this time in the 2000s, I feel like eating disorders was a topic that was really starting to be more talked about. Yeah. But, you know, when Amy was growing up, I would imagine people weren't really openly talking about eating disorders. So her parents, when she told her parents, like, they didn't really know what to do with that. And they didn't take her eating disorder seriously. I obviously did not think that deeply of it. My feeling was it would pass. And then she told Mitchell about it. He also sort of pushed it aside, not taking it seriously. That basically is bulimia. And it doesn't pass. 
if I had a child and they said that to me, I'd be like, oh, whoa, we need to talk about this. We need, you know, right. Maybe yeah. Could you help? Yeah. But it was such a, a different time because you got to remember she was born in, I think, 83. So this is like the 90s. Yeah. You know, and even before that, I think the the big uh, celebrity that talked about uh, well, they didn't really talk about it, but she died. Uh, Karen Carpenter of the Carpenters. Yes. She died because of an eating disorder. Good afternoon. Here's the latest at four. Karen Carpenter died this morning at 951, the victim of cardiac arrest. The Grammy Award winning singer with the mellow voice was only 32 years old. Karen was brought to Downing Community Hospital after collapsing at her parents' nearby home. All efforts by paramedics and then the hospital staff failed to revive her. She had long been a victim of anorexia, a compulsion to thinness that can result in starvation. But that was, I, I want to say she died in the 80s? I think so, um, yeah. At that time, too, it was like taboo yeah. to even talk about that. Because my dad's a huge Karen Carpenter fan, and I made him watch a movie the other day about Karen Carpenter. Yeah. And he was like, yeah, like during this time, like no one talked about it. Right. Like people didn't even really know what anorexia or like bulimia right. was. So Right, right. There were rumors, though, that you were suffering from, from the Slimmer's disease, from anorexia nervosa. Is that right? No, I was just pooped. And then even that was before... Amy's time right I do wonder too like hearing about um Amy Winehouse's like eating disorder and the fact that you know there was a, such a a lack of communication between or her parents trying to actually like do something despite Amy telling them like this is what I do yeah it reminded me too of like the Spice Girls because a number of mm. them had eating disorders yeah. and I know like at least from you know listening to different British people just talk about their culture like I think that's kind of within british culture it's like they don't really talk about right. their problems so i'm sure there's right. like a cultural element there as absolutely. well you know absolutely because like a number of the girls in the spice girls like most of them had eating disorders and they weren't really talking about it either and they right. predate amy by a couple of years so all through the spice girls i was you know terribly in control of what I was eating. I wasn't eating properly. I found, um, you know, having an eating disorder really embarrassing. I was so embarrassed about it. We're getting into like mid to late 90s and going into the early 2000s, which we already know the early 2000s when it comes to like tabloids, your image, all of that, it goes completely left um, and it becomes so toxic. And not only do we see like British stars, we see like the American stars from like Britney Spears and like right. even J Janet went through an eating disorder situation. Like we see yeah. all these like huge stars struggling to like keep the image largely because of this new thing of blogs and tabloids and like the way that they were really out here. I know I, I feel like I jumped the gun a bit. Because she no, had... actually, that is a perfect segue because my next bullet point was all about oh. Amy's tumultuous relationship Boom. with the media. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is that's that's perfect segue because yeah. Amy during this time rehab was the song. Yeah, there was already this atmosphere of celebrity all tied into rehab. Rehab was the pivotal song was a song that gets her into a particular place, her becoming a commercial star. The winner of the best British female this year, 
way more rock and roll than Liam Gallagher. It's the one, the only, Amy Winehouse. Major success with this song, and with a huge song comes more media attention. And there's the good in that that helped her seriously cross over in the States. She's suddenly on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine. Yeah. Actually, the article that they wrote about her at the time, it was titled The Diva and Her Demons. Wow. The bad side of this is now the paparazzi, like you were mm. starting to say, yeah. really starts to hound her. Everybody just wanted to spend time with Amy. In our business, there's nothing that can prepare you for that level of success. There's no textbook. You can warn an artist, you can try and prepare them for it, but at the end of the day, until you go through it, it's unlike anything you've ever encountered. This era, like you were setting up, of the mid-2000s media culture is horrendous. It's bad. Horrendous. It is yeah. awful because this is tabloid magazines where the paparazzi are being really aggressive, especially with women, and it's almost as if they're waiting to catch them in unflattering ways. But then with the rise of the internet, you have people like Perez Hilton. Yes. These internet bloggers who are just like always writing about these women. And now a message from Miss Amy Winehouse. And you know, all I want to do is just, you know, smuggle drugs in my beehive, you know, and, and, and I, 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 I keep a knife up in my hair and then I just, I just cut myself. Social media starts. So this is like MySpace era. We're going to eventually transition into mm -hmm. Facebook. So it's keeping these people in the news yeah. even more. And then on top of that, the technology is progressing. Yeah. Because now cell phones have cameras and they can take video. So now these everyday people have more access mm -hmm. to cameras where they could like capture everything. So just in general, you have more eyes on you yeah. at all times. And during this time, a lot of people's downfalls were magnetized because of that, because you're in this era of like constant media cycle intrusion yeah. where it kept like a certain group of people in the news at all times. And it was like, oh my God, they're a mess. It was like yeah. they were a 24-hour punching bag. Yeah. So this was Amy Winehouse. This was Britney Spears. This was Lindsay Lohan. I would even throw in Whitney Houston was in this as well. Like Paris Hilton and, you know, Nicole Richie and all of that stuff. Cuts in front of every single line and Britney Spears for accidentally showing her vagina. Aren't you supposed to, aren't you supposed to be in rehab now? Do you not watch anything that goes on? I do. Tabloid now? No, no, With her double CD set, Whitney screws up the classics. Amy Winehouse for rehab. Can somebody wake her up this afternoon around 6 and tell her? Drunk ass. It was interesting coming of age during that time. Like, I was probably, like, in middle school during this era, so I'm starting to become a bit more aware of, like, pop culture and yeah. following s certain people and just the narratives that were especially following women and the way that we talked mm -hmm. about women during yeah. this time. Because like, I remember too, like, you know, being a fan of Lindsay Lohan and her oh, movies. Yeah. And I was oh, like, yeah. oh my gosh, it's like, I loved Lindsay Lohan growing up. And then it took a turn yeah. because the stories were no longer about the movies. They were about, oh, she looks a mess, you know? And 
like shockingly the amount of times the press talked about you know especially women's mental health and painted the picture oh she's crazy that's it right you know it was very a la like 1950s 1960s like oh they don't have like for real mental health it's just you're crazy right it was just a a lack of empathy altogether amy winehouse and she's like a a mad person (laughs) okay so i think this is a good time to bring up and speak a bit about this horrible man in amy winehouse's life oh my lanta (laughs) blake fielder civil yeah (laughs) this is a bit of a saga but i'll try and like keep it brief but basically conveniently as Amy's star begins to rise and she becomes more successful, this is when she gets back with Blake. Now he sees, oh, this is an opportunistic moment for me. Yeah. For me to leech off of her. Right. Cash money. I guess at one point they both attempted to do rehab together. And in the documentary, the drug counselors said it was like really clear that Amy being so gone was good for Blake because he could take better advantage of her Mm. in that state. She was a very vulnerable woman. And I felt very clearly that it was a common case of one person having a situation that was very beneficial to their using, not wanting the other person to get better for fear of losing the gravy train. They were insistent on doing rehab together, which of course we would have considered to be disastrous. I would personally find it almost unethical to take the couple into treatment at the same time. So then by 2007 in May, when they are in America, they get married. And when they go back to the UK, it gets worse because this is when Blake introduces her to crack cocaine and heroin. Mm -hmm. After he came back from America, married, that was the first time Amy tried crack cocaine and heroin. I'd used by then, enjoyed it. It completely eradicates any sort of negative feelings. And then Amy tried it with me, and it just got a grip of both of us really quickly from then. Following this period, he eventually gets arrested for, I was trying to look this up, apparently for assaulting a bar owner, and then there was also an attempt to cover up a crime with a bribe. So because of that, he gets sentenced to prison for 27 months. And so people around Amy at the time were like, oh, okay, maybe this is good. Right. Because she'll be separated from him. Yeah. But no. She just unraveled even more because they weren't together. So then while he's away, I guess like, you know, Amy lives her life as we kind of insinuated in um, part one. We talked about how she was kind of linked to different men. Yeah, yeah. Like throughout her life. Yeah. So I think this was kind of the period when she was doing that. And so when Blake gets out of jail, he files for divorce on the grounds of adultery because he said that he saw a picture of Amy on a beach with some guy while he was in jail. And the things he says about her at this time is like horrible. Horrible. Like he said like... I just thought, fuck this, you know, I'm a big man. I'm an handsome fucking guy. I ain't on heroin. I'm going to the gym a lot. I dress well. So what the fuck am I doing wasting my time with her? It's like, are you fucking joking me? (laughs) You're the reason why she's like this. And I I don't normally want to judge people by the way that they look but this fool come on now yeah come on now you're one to talk sir you're one to talk sir you weren't looking (laughs) so great either right like oh my goodness okay so yeah that's all i have about him because i don't want to spend so much time talking about him perfect (laughs) okay um next her dad is a piece of shit yes 
get into it. It's very much giving for the Whitney fans. It's giving Pat Houston mm-hmm. of someone yeah. who's like, we did everything to help her, but you can't force treatment on anyone, right, you know? Right. Yeah. But they're not like actively trying to help her. Yeah. But they're just kind of there. We did everything within our power to help Amy. But you can't force treatment on somebody. And I felt that that's Amy's responsibility to get herself well. Very much Pat Houston in terms of Bobby Christina after when Houston died. It's that. It's that. It's that for sure. Like, I will be there and I'll say, hmm, doesn't look great, but am I going to actually help? No. But I will collect the coins because this is beneficial for me. Exactly. You know, I haven't seen Amy for six weeks. We've got a lot to talk about. A lot of exciting things happening. We're talking about the forthcoming album, some other business matters. So I think it's 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 going to be an exciting time. She's like, yo, why is he bringing another camera crew to St. Lucia? Dad, you want money? I'll give you the money. Why are you doing your life story, which is really my life story? She just felt like, you know, my dad's doing a lot of stuff, money or limelight. Also at this time, too, Amy was developing a reputation for not being a reliable performer. At this point, she was notoriously known for canceling gigs last minute because she was deep in the throes of her addiction. Amy Winehouse has pulled out of a string of concerts in the U.S. and Canada next month because of health issues. The 23-year-old has now she's one of Britain's brightest talents, but the singer Amy Winehouse has canceled yet more gigs this time in Norway after she was admitted to hospital in London yesterday. Her record companies say it was just down to severe exhaustion. I guess there was an incident at this concert at Eden project where she was very out of it during the performance like she's literally forgetting the words yeah she's slurry she's wobbly i guess at some point she like starts smacking herself in the face and then she quits mid set list and leaves the band to finish mm. the set without her And the record company pulled the classic excuse of exhaustion. It's so interesting to see the parallels between her and Whitney. I know. Like the entire time I was watching that, I was like, oh, my God. It's like, you know, when Whitney toured in the UK yes. and she was getting booed. Yes. And then there was that lady that was like, she couldn't even entertain a dead rat. Right. I was like, oh. words like shambolic and horrendous have been bandied about. Definitely not worth $165. She couldn't entertain a dead rat. That part in the Whitney documentary. Yes. Where they actually are showing it. And all I could do is just cringe where she's trying to sing, I will always love you. And it's just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And you cringe because like, you know, like, you know, there was a time yeah. when she could have like fucking done that so easily. And then the fact that she can't do it anymore. She can't and she doesn't want to be on stage. And it's just like breaking her. Yeah. It's breaking her over the fact yeah. that she can't do it anymore. And it's right. that's how I feel about like Amy Winehouse, Winehouse too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think anyone who becomes that huge they they love singing. They love what they do. And I don't think they intentionally go there to be bad. Right, exactly. But their life is just like shit that they, they just can't, they can't even see clearly anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just, it's really, it's really sad. Especially like talented musical artists. Yeah. Who, who care about the art. Yeah. Like you never want to display your artwork in such a way. You want to respect it. But yeah, as stated before, it's an industry. It's a it's a business at the end of the day. Right. And people are trying to make money 
off the artists and they don't really care how it's affecting the artist. There's only rare, a few rare moments where the label is like, oh yeah, we need to, to care about this artist. But normally we see it with Mariah. We've yeah. seen it with Whitney, yeah. Amy Winehouse, TLC, like go down the list, Tony Braxton. Like these people do not care about the artist and they're going to try to take and suck and do everything that they can to, to get whatever they can from the artist. Amy Winehouse is like a perfect example of this, you know? Well, the Grammys. Let's talk about it. Okay, so there was like a huge drama with this as well because Amy, there's a lot going on with her. So there was this question of, will she show up? And the Grammys themselves were facing pressure and expectation from just like music consumers, from audiences, because Amy Winehouse was so big at the time. It's like, how can there be a Grammys without like one of the biggest artists at that time. Right. So Amy Winehouse's label made her sign a contract that she had to get clean or else she wouldn't be allowed to perform at the Grammys or the Brits. We had the Grammys coming up. I said, you need to be clean. If you're not clean, you're not doing anything. So I had a contract drawn up and it said, you, Amy Winehouse, have agreed to go to a facility now. You're never going to make another record again. You're never going to perform ever again unless you get clean. And God bless her, she did. But Amy Winehouse's work visa was denied because I guess at some point she had acknowledged in an interview somewhere that she was using narcotics. Mm. And when you do that, that gives the U.S. authorities the right to reject a work visa, yeah, obviously. So because of that, she ended up not going to the Grammys in the U.S. Instead, she appeared via satellite in London. Mm-hmm. And this is probably my favorite part of the documentary because this is when Tony Bennett and Natalie Cole, they come out to present Record of the Year, and she's so stunned because it's Tony Bennett. Because she loves Tony Bennett. Yeah. And it's like this genuine moment where you can see like, little Amy Winehouse come out and just yeah. like geek out over her like favorite artist. Mm-hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome two Grammy favorites, Natalie Cole and Tony Bennett. Dad, dad, Tony Bennett. But Amy wins and it's this like really hopeful moment because she's supposedly drug free at the time and it's like about the music. And the Grammy goes to Amy Winehouse. And you could tell, like, in that moment, she genuinely, she loves being an artist. Yeah, absolutely. Despite the fact that, like, so much shit and drama was getting in the middle of that. Yeah. She invites her friend, Juliet Ashby, on stage. And Juliet is expecting Amy to have, like, an excited reaction. But Amy tells her, Jules, she's so boring about drugs. And I felt really, really, really sad for her. I mean, it's it's hard when your whole music journey, for the most part, has been on substances. Yeah. And then to have this big moment without the thing that you, like, used to get. Yeah, that's know, really complicated. All these accolades, like, ah, uh, it's a hard one. Also, interesting thing I learned, too, is I guess Natalie Cole, mm. who presented her with uh, Record of the Year with uh, Tony Bennett, she was not happy that Amy Winehouse was being recognized because she felt like the Grammys were rewarding bad behavior 
and she was very vocal about that on the red carpet. The daughter of legendary crooner Nat King Cole was disturbed by the Brit singer's big win and let everyone at the Sony BMG after party know about it. No, I don't think bad behavior should be rewarded, so I was disappointed. No, I don't think she should have. And it seems Natalie wasn't the only one who felt this way. As a matter of fact, there was some booing in the audience because a lot of people were very upset about it. When you look at Natalie Cole's journey with drugs, she was called everything under the sun. Even though a lot of artists coming out of the 70s, going into the 80s, they were doing cocaine, they were doing, some of them were doing crack. But I think Natalie Cole, there was such a a shift in the 80s going into the 90s for her. Yeah. And she was like, so many people talked down about Natalie Cole and her career really got affected. So yeah. it's like, here's this this white woman who is doing R&B, you know, and she's getting heavily celebrated. Right. She made a whole song about saying no to rehab. Right. And they're like, yes, this song is like the greatest thing ever. So I could see as like, as an artist, a black artist going through that, like how jaded you could be. Yeah. And by this point too, I think she was going through like kidney situations, like her health was failing and all of this stuff and she was kind of getting dragged and then to see amy winehouse being celebrated as much as she was i i know that that probably triggered her for sure and if anyone's speaking from experience it's this lady just like amy the 58 year old battled her own demons with substance abuse in the 80s and ended up having to put her singing on hold I, I know because I was in that situation. I, I lost five years of my life and my career because of drugs. You know, so you don't play like that. And I'm sure, like, that's an image thing, too, because, like, we're going to get into this in a little bit, but where Amy was able to kind of, like, project this, like, dark, broody image, and that also played into, like, the themes of her her album. Yeah. Like, there's no way Natalie Cole would have been able to lean into her darkness no. like that, you know? Like, she she's coming from legacy, from prestige. Yeah. Like, she is the daughter of Nat King Cole. Like, yeah, that's, like, absolutely. very clean cut, Yes, you know? And as a black woman, too, we've, like, talked about this in so many previous episodes. But they, like, they can't lean into that dark aesthetic in absolutely. order to cross over. Yeah. You know, she has to be, like, palatable in a certain way in order yeah. to get these mainstream audiences to listen. Same thing with Whitney Houston. But isn't that interesting? Both of them yeah. had a heavy drug addiction as yeah. well. Yeah, absolutely. As a as a fan of Whitney, it would have been amazing if she made an album like Back to Black. Yeah. But I don't, like, I can't see the pop world accepting that. No, because it's, su- it's such a break in how she was presented to us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But that's also, I mean, to tie it to Amy as well, like, Amy had some sort of control over her career yeah, and in the way that true. she was presented in the way that like Whitney Houston did not. And I'm pretty sure Absolutely. I'm assuming Natalie Cole probably didn't either. Right. Yeah. And again, we're talking about legacy acts. Yeah. Cause those women come from, they come from storied musical families. Absolutely. So like, like there's a certain image legends. that we have to maintain. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you ever kind of sit back and think, look, when you think successful female artists in America, you think Beyonce, Christina Aguilera, you think Shakira. These are all very kind of polished images. You know, these girls step out. uh, They're probably ready for the cover of Vogue magazine. Um, But you yourself have come out doing, you know, you've defied convention, not just with your sound, but also with your look. 
right? How important is image to your career? Um, I'm not really fussed. I'm very lucky that I got to make the kind of album I wanted to make. That's pretty much it. The rest of it, I'd tell everyone to piss off, so it doesn't really matter, I suppose. Yeah, my final note here is her death, obviously. Yeah. Because this is Amy's part of our, our series of divas who are no longer here, the last albums of... So Amy died July 23rd, 2011. Let me bring you some breaking news now. Coming into us from Sky Sources, the singer Amy Winehouse has been found dead in her North London flat, just 27 years old. Her bodyguard found her body at her place. I guess she was found with the blood alcohol level that was four to five times higher than the driving limit. And it's believed that it was a combination of her eating disorder as well as her alcoholism that caused her heart to stop. So her official cause of death was accidental alcohol poisoning. It's, it's just a tragedy, really, you know. And uh, just come to pay our respects and, you know, obviously wish the family well. I've actually seen her about before, so it's just really shocking. Sort of listen to her music as well. It's, it's horrible. It's really awful. Do you remember finding out that Amy Winehouse died? How you found out? So Amy Winehouse wasn't one of those people I just remember like that. Yeah. It was one of those things where it was just like, oh, shoot, Amy Winehouse died. Damn, that sucks. But I had already heard about her addiction. So it wasn't shocking. Right. Yeah. It was just like, damn, oh, she died. That was definitely the thing. Like yeah. a lot of people were like, I mean, not to, you know, sound crass, but it was sort of like people weren't surprised yeah. because the way it was all playing out in the media. Oh, yeah. It was kind of like people were almost expecting waiting. it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then on top of that, like for me, Back to Black wasn't a huge album in my life. Like I knew Rehab, I knew a lot of the singles, but like the album itself wasn't really influential to me. Yeah. So... Her as an artist, like her death didn't affect me as much. It's in recent years, looking back at Amy Winehouse and like with the documentary coming out. And, yeah. You know, the more she's been in the limelight post-death, it's right. like, oh, shoot, this situation sucked. Like, Yeah, it was like really messed seeing up. Her, yeah. I remember like for me, I remember finding out because it was the summer. I remember when I woke up that morning looking at my phone and that was kind of like one of the first celebrity deaths I remember finding out like over Twitter oh. and over BuzzFeed. Wow. Because that's like that time, like now you're starting to get news and all of that yeah. through the internet. And I was like, oh my God, like just being yeah. like, yeah, like still even though expecting it being like shocked at yeah. oh my God, Amy Winehouse passed away. And also this thinking of like, wow, I can't believe I found this out over like Twitter and over yeah. BuzzFeed and I could see what people are saying, saying about her in yeah. real time. In real yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. We're going to turn now to a major loss in the music world tonight. The gifted singer Amy Winehouse found dead in her London home. She was just 27 and so many people blogging and tweeting throughout the day today about an almost eerie coincidence. So many young music stars lost and so many lost when they too were 27. Last additional note here I have is, you know, with Amy Winehouse dying at the age of 27, she is a member of the infamous 27 Club, which is artists, famous people who die at the age of 27. So like mm -hmm. Kurt Cobain, uh, Janis Joplin, yes, Jimi yes, Hendrix. Yes. Mm -hmm. Amy's yeah, yeah, part yeah. of that, so. 
Dang. Those aren't just like small names. Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Kurt Cobain. Damn. It's like nice to have a little tea party every once in a while. Let's get into the next segment. But we need people to buy the album. We need the audience to buy the album. This is a segment where we talk about how the album era was marketed. So let's get into it. How was this album era marketed? Well, should we talk about the album cover? <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Um, let me pull up let me pull, um, Amy yeah, Winehouse me... back to black album cover. Really? Um, okay. What, do, what are we thinking, Angie? How do we feel about the album cover? I love that it's simple. We're getting yet another simple, iconic cover. It's not busy at all. I love the font. Yeah, the font. It looks like she's in front of like a chalkboard. And you know how when the chalkboard is not like super clean, it just got all the eraser marks. Mm-hmm. I love that as an extra bit of element. And there's like scribbles in the back. It feels like a vibe. The funny part is it doesn't feel like the sound and visuals that she ends up portraying within this era which is like the 50s 60s sound it feels very contemporary yeah which is interesting it's an interesting choice yeah i feel like the album cover could have been better (laughs) 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 because like you just said it doesn't really fit the visuals that eventually come, come out. out yeah we see in the the progress of the era um but you know i like the font <laughs> this is <laughs> beautiful gowns <laughs> beautiful gowns beautiful gowns okay great uh, great gowns beautiful gowns i think they could have done more it looks like they were like you know amy we just, we need the album cover yes. shot now. Sit down. So you just get that chair and you sit over there in front of that chalkboard. And you know, this is the album cover. It feels like her, her mood in this era. Like, I'm just here. Yeah. She's just kind of like sitting yeah. in a slumped. I'm, I'm here. here. This is what you're getting. Yeah. I am an artiste. Yeah. I, I got vocals for days. But, you know, I really just don't want to be here. Right. That's what the cover is giving. We're going to talk about music videos in a bit. But, you know, the um, I think that it's the back to black. Mm-hmm. It, it is the back to black music video where it's like, oh, shot in black and white. Oh, yeah. She looks very elegant. Yeah. She has like her hair, you know, the beehive, the eye. Like if they would have just taken us still. Oh, and then like from put... that music video mm-hmm. and just put the thought Amy Winehouse back to black. Mm-hmm. That would have been the look. It needed to have the uh the 21 album cover treatment yes or i don't know if you've seen duffy's album cover where she's just like looking off to a distance like she looks like she's she's thinking about stuff but it's like a cold english day yes this is like are right, we just here yeah or just right, here let's get they this. told me to sit in that corner in yes. front of the chalkboard and i saw they told me to drag the chair and to sit and that's exactly yes. what i did they told me to do this album that's the vibe they told me to do this album yeah. one year all right here i you showed up go. i'm yeah. present yeah yeah roll call present Absol- that is literally yeah. it's the it's the teacher vibes it's the school vibe yeah where you don't want to be at school with the chalkboard <laughs> with the chalkboard <laughs> there we go but i mean in terms of look though mm-hmm. for the era I think perfect. Yeah. I love that she has such a clear, distinct 
specific look for the album and era. Yeah. It's different from the first. Yes. If you look at the way she looked in the first to the second, it's different. Mm -hmm. But I think her imaging here is like, this is what we envision when we think Amy Winehouse. It's the way she looked during the Back to Black album and era. Because she has like that big beehive hairstyle. Yes. A la artists from the 50s and 60s. She has the tattoos all over her arms. She has that eyeliner that's like super exaggerated. Yeah, yes. swoop, yes, yes. Like the way she dressed and like looked during this era it fits the sound of the album. Oh, like yeah. when we were talking about Janet Jackson, Velvet Rope, and we were like, when you look at Janet during that time, you're like, yeah, that's the person who made Velvet Rope. Yeah. It's like when you look at Amy Winehouse during this time, that's the person who made Back to Black. Yeah. And it's interesting too, to, um, I want to talk about the British wave in this moment because a part of the British wave was the recreation of the, the 50s and the 60s. Yeah. These like big, almost Phil Spector sounds. Mm-hmm. But almost everybody else didn't commit to these like 50s, 60s look. Yeah. It was a very contemporary look with the old school sound. Right. And here was Amy Winehouse committing to everything. Right. The look, the sound, the fashion, you know, the makeup design, like everything, you know? Yeah. And side note, the cover looks like her previous album era. Oh, that's what see, it looks like. That's the problem. That's the problem. <laughs> that's a, as soon as you talked about the previous album era, I said, oh, yeah, no, this looks like the previous album era. I wonder if it would have been improved a little bit if she just like did her hair. Oh, my gosh. If she did the beehive in this. It would have been like perfect. Okay. Yeah, it would have been perfect. Okay. But yeah, because her iconic hairstyle of this era is the beehive. Right. And the fact that she's not wearing it in, in the, album, the cover. album cover when anybody thinks of amy winehouse they're going to think of the beehive right like if they're going to draw like a caricature of her it's going to be the beehive, be the beehive and, the, and the, the cat eyes yeah yeah <laughs> i love the way she committed to being a depressed musical artist mm. and the whole vibe being that yeah like okay here's a dark album i'm going to continue to give like these dark themes and fortunately, unfortunately, like her real life paralleled what was on the album. Yeah. So her going on stage drunk, it didn't help her career, but it helped her image of this album era. Yeah, totally. Because it fit the album era. And it's like, damn, she's really, she's sad. Yeah. Like she's going through it. Like, oh, damn. Right. Yeah. It's sad that people kind of hold certain artists to quote unquote like being more credible mm. or being more like authentic yes. the darker they are yes 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 it's like that's real art right exactly exactly like <laughs> and especially within the era that we've talked about 2006 where hip-hop is key and there's like it's a specific kind of hip-hop and pop that's coming out it's like we're trying to hit the clubs and here comes amy winehouse and she's like nah i'm just depressed <laughs> Here yeah. it is, like... Yeah, and I mean, like, all of that just helps promote and market the album because, like, the media absolutely. madness and controversy pushes this album and keeps her name in the media. And then the fact that the album is autobiographical, it, it's like a cycle. Oh, So yeah. it's further fueling the album, but also pushing Amy Winehouse's, like, star persona. Absolutely. And it all connects. Absolutely. Okay, so how do you think her death impacted this album era or the album itself well 
Amy dies five years after Back to Black. Mm-hmm. And in contrast with Selena and Aaliyah, I would say her death doesn't directly impact the album right. like theirs did yeah. because, you know, it wasn't like Selena where she was in the middle of making the album and it wasn't even finished. It wasn't like Aaliyah where she had just finished the album and she's starting to promote it. Yeah. Like there's distance. Absolutely. That's what makes Amy Winehouse's death and the album different from Selena and Aaliyah. Yeah. But I think people memorialize this album because it is her last. Yeah. And in a way, she's like frozen in time in that way. Like she's never going to age. Yeah. She's forever 27. Oh, for sure. And because the album is so heavily influenced by what was going on in her life, like we've been saying, it just like perpetuates this narrative about Amy and who she was. Absolutely. And the fact that it's so closely tied to her life, like the lyrics indicate the chaos yeah. that would lead to her death. Absolutely. So there's just like this aura of like, the album is really, really good. Yeah. You can't deny that. Right. But there's this aura of darkness right. around it for so many reasons. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like you said, the interesting part of like the three artists that we chose. Yeah. Their death was at different times in the album cycle. Right. And to see Amy Winehouse have an actual full album cycle, like she got awarded heavily and stuff like that she got acknowledged in real time right but to see how the album era was the catalyst to her death right that's so different i mean in some ways i guess we could talk about Aaliyah and how that album era was the catalyst to her death but i think for amy winehouse it was like much slower right you know and with Aaliyah too it was like i mean not that amy's wasn't accidental but mm-hmm. like with Aaliyah, that was an accident. Yeah, that was absolutely. like completely out of her control. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Even though it was kind of like a byproduct of working. Yeah, yeah. Having to do work for the album, but with Amy, it's like, you know, she was an addict. Right. Exactly. Like it's interesting because this reminds me of like Lauren Hill's "The Miseducation." Even though Amy Winehouse put out two albums, yeah, this is the album. Yeah, this is the album era, right? And she is looked at as like a legend simply based off of this one album. Yeah, people mostly don't talk about post Back to Black era of Amy Winehouse. It's just this era. Boom. Right. All right. Let's go to the next segment. Video killed the radio star. This is the segment where we talk about music videos from this era. Um, It won't be an in-depth discussion of every video, but we're each going to get a chance to talk about a specific video of our choosing. And then we're going to talk about a song that we wish got a music video. Before we get started, let me list the songs that got videos in this era. Rehab, directed by Phil Griffin. Back to Black, directed by Phil Griffin. Tears Dry on Their Own, directed by David LaChapelle. You Know I'm No Good, directed by Phil Griffin. Uh, Just Friends by Anthony Matil and Robert Simmer. And then Love is a Losing Game. I couldn't find who directed it. I couldn't either. Okay. I couldn't either. Thought it was just me. Um, But there's like two different versions of this video. Yeah. Go check it out. We don't know who directed it. If you know who directed these videos, let us know. Yeah. Hit us up. Mm -hmm. All right. But Steffi, which music video 
did you want to talk about first? You know, I thought I was going to talk about one video, but then when, after I finished watching all of them, I was like, you know, I'm going to make a left. All right. I wanted to talk about Tears Dry on Their Own. Nice choice. Okay. Okay. Solid. Like Angie said, directed by David LaChapelle. I was like, oh. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. She's with the big boys now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and it shows. Yeah. It shows in the video. Um, basically, the premise of the video is she's literally just walking down Hollywood Boulevard yeah. amongst the chaos. Yes. <laughs> but I love how vibrant and colorful this video is mm. because it's so refreshing to see Amy Winehouse in color. I agree. We always associate her in black and white. Yeah. Like, literally, some of her videos are in black and white. It makes sense. Yeah. But I love the use of color in this like David LaChapelle like this was a really good yeah. video like I love that wide shot of her walking against this like bubblegum blue Ooh, wall yeah. yeah yeah oh I love that oh yeah and then all of the shots of her in that yellow motel room and it's just like so visually striking against her black hair and the black yeah. eyeliner yeah like the color brings out her dark hairstyle yeah. and the eyeliner it's really it's just really visually pleasing to look at and there's also very like colorful chaotic people in the background because yeah for people who've never been to hollywood boulevard don't it's, um but it's chaotic <laughs> as hell <laughs> there's a lot of interesting people you will see on the streets there and yeah. all of the background people look like they have like their own stories oh yeah you know they have their own lives going on and yeah it just looks and feels like a summer day yeah on hollywood boulevard that's why I really, really like this video. It's definitely giving um, the bright and colorful moments of the 60s. Yeah, yeah. But also still looking very mid-2000s. Because oh, I love that her outfit looks very mid-2000s with that chunky belt. The belts in the 2000s? Yeah, the chunky belts. Listen, let me tell you. They had a chokehold on society. I, I'm not even going to front. I had a couple chunky belts that I oh, definitely loved. <laughs> we all had chunky belts. <laughs> Yeah, what's your video? You know, I didn't realize how much I love this song, but I love it so much. Back to Black. See, that was the one I was going to choose. Listen, because so I'm happy you went with that one. Because it's a freaking classic, okay? Yeah. Like I said, this is like one of my favorite songs. Probably my favorite song by Amy Winehouse. I love the black and white elements. And I think this video very much leans into... I'm a depressed artist. Yeah. I'm a moody artist. Uh -huh. I'm trying to give the vibes of like, this is deep. And, you know, there's there's no better way to give melancholy than black and white at a funeral. Yes. <laughs> She's not even giving like fashion like that, but it's like a vibe. Yeah. And I know they're at a funeral, but it's like a vibe. And <laughs> like, she looks really good in the video. Yes. Like she looks yes. very elegant like mm -hmm. see i'm telling you they should have just taken a still yes. from that video and just use that as the album cover yep mm -hmm. it's a vibe like if i had to think about what this whole album was giving as a whole it would be this this video mm -hmm. yeah totally what song do you wish got a music video uh, okay so i would like her to redo just friends <laughs> Oh, okay. Okay. All right. All right. What's the treatment? Okay. So I feel like some of her videos, she doesn't do like literal lyric translations. Mm, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Like 
tears dry on their own. Why is she walking down Hollywood Boulevard? I don't know, but that's the video. Right, it's right. a vibe. Yeah. So this is kind of like a little bit like that, but there is a little bit of a narrative element. So mm, okay. in Just Friends, you know how it's like from the point of view of the side chick? Mm, yes. Okay, so essentially the vibe that we're trying to create in this video is like summer day date. Okay. And I want it to be like, Really easy, breezy, and sweet. Because the song sounds really sweet, right? That's true. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. So I want it to be like a simple, romantic, summer elegance, but we're on vacation because it has that like reggae-esque kind of yes. sound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I want her and the guy to be kind of like styled 50s, 60s, vintage, retro, if you will. Okay. And I'm just like picturing moments of them on this day date, like, I want them to be on like maybe like a beachy island somewhere, like going to the fruit stands, yeah, picking up some fruits. <laughs> and maybe her love interest is like taking pictures of her with this retro vintage camera as Amy is driving in an old school car with the top okay, down. Yes, 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 yes. And last night while I was writing this, I had this sudden realization where I thought to myself, Am I just trying to make this like the movie Carol? <laughs> because I was like, yeah, you can be taking pictures of her and you can be driving You're in the car. And I was like, wait. Literally, this this is Carol. This is Carol. They end up at a motel. And I was like, yeah, Carol, but make it straight and make it summer. Yeah, Carol will definitely give in winter. Um, yeah (laughs) but this would be the thing so at the end of their day date i want her to like drive him back to his place and he gets out of the car and we like follow him up as he's like walking up his front door but then the camera will cut to inside in the living room area and he will cross camera and we'll notice that if you look closely, the pictures in the house are of him and another woman. Oh, that's good. No, that's good. That's a good And then one. we'll do final cut to Amy and she's just like driving in her car. That is great. That's perfect right there. Yeah. So like you're watching this entire time being like, oh, this is so sweet. Like, look at this young couple in love. And then like the last 30 seconds, it's like. Wait, what? (laughs) No, that's that's amazing. (laughs) That's great. Uh, Yeah. See, this is this was a hard one for me because I think for the first time I was like, I don't I don't have a song. Yeah. That I would want to give a video to because the songs that needed videos got videos. Right. But if we took your redo of Just Friends, the catalog would be perfect. Yes. So you're just going to hop onto mine? <laughs> I'm going to hop onto yours. Okay. Because yours is really perfect because what I put in my notes, <laughs> I was going to say a redo of Just Friends as well. Oh, okay. But I felt that also Just Friends didn't need a video. Right. Because it is that song that should thrive in our imaginations mm. while we're driving down the PCH. Oh, so But that's driving. essentially, yeah, <laughs> that's essentially your like video. So. We all like to drive. <laughs> I think that's the, the, the Southern Californian in us. Yes, like, yes. If we could drive down to PCH listening to some music that is like the best thing or like driving totally. on a beautiful day. If only Carol and Therese made it that far west in right? the movie. <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm going to hop onto yours. Okay. Um, you win this time. Okay. Good job. Thank you. But we 
kind of had the same thing. I'm going to just say that. Yeah. It was a group effort. It was a group effort. Yeah. You know, even though you created everything. Mm-hmm. Or did I? Like, <laughs> <laughs> or was this Carol? Yeah. <laughs> we all cheated. Uh, we all cheated <laughs> off of Todd Haynes. <laughs> Let's move on to the next segment. The mic is on. It's not Memorex. I go on stage and my microphone is on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> This is the segment where we talk about live performances because live performances are a huge part of an album era. So we're going to share our favorite performance from this era, even though the segment is called The Mic Is On. As you guys know, if you guys are returning listeners, sometimes there will be performances that we pick that were clearly lip sync. We think it's still a good performance regardless. So Steffi, which performance did you did you pick? Did you fall in love with? Okay, well, it's a whole show, so I'll just name the whole show. Oh, are you going to do what I think you're going to do? I think, go ahead. <laughs> I am choosing her I Told You I Was Trouble mm-hmm. concert yes. live in London in 2007. Wow. The whole thing is on YouTube. What? Really she... enjoyed this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I... Not pleasantly surprised, but it was just nice to see her perform mm-hmm. in this way. And it be good because especially when you remember that towards the end, she had that reputation of like, yeah, the performances are not good anymore. Her heart isn't in it. She doesn't want to be there. Like you could tell like she, at least for me, it looked like she was enjoying being up there. Yeah. She looked in it, in the performance. Mm-hmm. And I like the production design. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think, like, it's so cool, like, that curtain in the background mm-hmm. and they have, like, the lampshades yeah. on stage. It was, like, the band and background dancers. They're all wearing suits. It just, like, again, it fits the vibe. Yeah. She knew, they knew what they were going for. Mm-hmm. And I love how she just kind of, like, comes out stage right. It's not a huge entrance. Yeah. She's just wearing this simple black and white mini dress with that chunky belt yeah, that yeah, she yeah. loves. The beehive eyeliner is popping and yeah, it just really fits the aesthetic of the album and Amy and I like how the venues seemed really intimate mm-hmm. and simple and you could feel the energy in the crowd. Yeah. Love that. Absolutely. Huge on crowd participation. Yeah. But I would say maybe the song that I really liked in that performance was Just Friends. So we need to find a time to do this I think in hindsight, I feel like Just Friends might be my favorite off of the album. I mean, it's a bop. Now. It's a bop. Yeah. Like, since we recorded, it has really grown on me. Yeah. And when she does Just Friends live, like, I love how loose it feels. Because mm-hmm. her, her and her dancers are kind of like, they're grooving on stage. Yeah, absolutely. During yeah. that song. And because Amy comes from the tradition and school of jazz Mm -hmm. her live interpretation isn't exact to the record yeah because he's singing as well i I think even even on record it's really instinctive and it nice it is i mean i never really sing the same thing twice i mean um yeah the songs tonight will probably sound 
quite little like the record. But, you know, that's important to me to grow, to have the songs grow, you know what I mean? So she just like really goes and she's so free. Mm -hmm. So that's my my pick, Just Friends. This whole concert, it feels like um, if Tiny Desk had a little bit more production value. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Amy would have loved a Tiny Desk. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. <sighs> What's yours? Mine is, it, it stems from the simple world of AOL. Oh, AOL. Yes, the Back to Black live AOL Winter Warmer 2006. Mm, yeah. I felt like 2006, Amy Winehouse's voice took on a different life. It seemed like she was more in it. Like she just had the right vocal placements as a live performer. She was committed to the performances. And I, I feel like, one, I, I, li- I love this song. Yeah. Absolutely love this song. But I feel like in this performance specifically, it seemed like she was very present. And that's important, as we've clearly stated, Yeah, to Amy Winehouse because there was that era where she wasn't present. So she seemed like she was very, very present. The backup singers were basically backup dancers. They were doing their thing. They had the tambourines. Like, everybody looked like they were a part of the era. Totally. But my favorite part is like towards the end you know in back to black there is like that slow part where the the whole song slows down when it got to that part the slow down the mix it was giving true soulful vibes the the slow tempo right was just it was doing what needed to be done right it teetered on being sexy and we've never used that word with amy winehouse for this era but her live vocals on that section were teetering on sexy. And I was like, oh, this is very interesting. And it's like, it's sexy, but melancholy. Ooh, yeah. love it, you know. I go back to black, black. That's a good one. That's a good one. Next segment. Show me the receipts. No way. I want to see the receipts. This is the segment where we just simply give the stats of the album. And quite frankly, there is a shit ton of stats for this album. Yes. Surprisingly. Not surprisingly, but like there's a lot. So Steffi, take it away. Okay. So Back to Black debuted at number seven on the billboard 200 which is pretty good for you know uk crossover act Mm -hmm. um and after the grammys the album jumped to number two so whoa yes the grammy effect yes yes in terms of singles so rehab was the lead single peaked at number seven in the uk peaked at number nine on the billboard hot 100 and it's her only top 10 hit in the u.s really yeah. Interesting. Hmm. In terms of sales, so this these are big stats. In the UK, 
it was the best-selling album of 2007, and it sold 1.85 million copies. Mm -hmm. uh, in 2018, it was certified 13 times platinum, and it became the UK's second best-selling album of the 21st century so far. And as of right now, it is the 12th best-selling album in the UK of all time. That is crazy. Oh my gosh, yeah. 13 times... 13 times platinum. Yeah. People aren't doing those numbers these days. In the U.S., by 2008, Back to Black had sold 3 million copies. And after Amy's death, obviously, sales increased even more. And her songs went number one on multiple music charts yeah. all over the world. Mm -hmm. Awards. Grammys. Mm. Whoa. Yeah. Back to Black was nominated for six Grammys. And she won five of the six. That's crazy. So there was reason for people to want her at the Grammys. Yeah, absolutely. So she won um, Best New Artist. Mm -hmm. She also, for Rehab, my God, she won Best Female Pop Vocal. Mm -hmm. She won a Song of the Year. She won Record of the Year. Huge. And then Back to Black also um, won Best Pop Vocal Album. And interesting to note is the following year, Duffy won for Best Pop Vocal Album. And I think that's probably a legacy oh, yeah. of, Absolutely. you know, Back to Black. It's that trend. The British Invasion. Yes. And then also Back to Black was nominated for Album of the Year. I mean. Like, that's huge. Oh, my God. Huge. She won yeah. five of the six. Yeah. In major categories. Mm -hmm. Major yeah. categories. Yeah. You know who hasn't won in those major categories? Let's Beyonce hasn't won in those major categories. You can listen to that episode. <laughs> well, let's get to the final segment, the impact and closing thoughts. But before we get into the closing thoughts, because we we're talking about divas who are no longer here, it's important to talk about their impact. And one of the most notable impacts for an artist who has passed away is their legacy. And that is most often shown through their estate. So let's take a moment and talk about that. So Steffi, how do you think Amy Winehouse's legacy is being handled through the estate? See, I mean, I feel like it's similar to Whitney Houston in that mm. it seems like there is a lot of bad blood between, you know, the estate, but also the fans mm -hmm. of Amy Winehouse. Mm. And when there is that distrust between the estates and the people who you know they want i'm sure they want more anything amy related it's yeah. like not good yeah. i think probably one of the best things that has come out post amy's death is we keep mentioning it but it's that amy documentary yeah she was highly intelligent the most intelligent person i knew she was so utterly authentic amy just give us a smile and then we can turn the camera off do you promise <laughs> it's probably like the most honest movie that will ever be made about Amy Winehouse. Yeah. It doesn't seem like her family was that involved in it. Yeah. Maybe just like a close circle of people, but it was like the good circle of people yeah. around Amy Winehouse during her time. Mm -hmm. uh, it won the Oscar for Best Documentary Feature in 2016. Yeah. So if you care about that, that gives a little bit legitimacy there. And the Oscar goes to Amy, Arsif Kapadia, and James Gay Reese. Thank you. This is amazing. Thank you to everyone in the Academy, everyone who voted for us, for all the love you've shown to the film, to the contributors, 
Everyone who trusted us to actually make this film, really this film's all about Amy. This is all about showing the world who she really was, not a tabloid persona, the beautiful girl, the amazing soul, funny, intelligent, witty, someone special, someone who needed looking after. We just wanted to make a film to show the world who she really was. I know there's that Amy biopic that's supposed to be coming out, and I've seen some pictures of it, and it looks not good. It looks cheap. It looks like a Lifetime movie. Yeah, it does look like a Lifetime movie. Yikes. Yeah, and just in general, I just feel like there's not a lot of love for the father, obviously. Absolutely. Who still seems to be heavily involved in the estate. Yeah. So I don't think his presence Mm -hmm. is a positive thing for the Amy Winehouse brand. Absolutely. Because the fans don't trust him. Yeah, yeah. Because look how he handled everything when Amy was alive. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So And I think it's um important to mention for non Amy Winehouse fans that the estate itself is split equally between her parents, Mitch and Janice Winehouse. But the actual music, the people who own the rights to her music is Universal Music Group. They're like two different entities. But I will say let me say this. I'm not a huge Amy Winehouse fan. So for the big Amy Winehouse fans, let me know if I'm in the wrong. But yeah, when I think of like a legacy of an estate, it's usually how accessible that music is. And like how much access do we get of an artist? Unless you're like a prince and Prince made it very clear like before he died, like, don't put my shit on streaming services and stuff like that. And then we find it on streaming services. Yeah. Like that's a, you know, anomaly. But normally I, I like to see like how accessible their art is. And it seems as though Amy Winehouse's music is very, very, very accessible. Yeah. Like the amount of ways you can buy Back to Black. You can buy the CD version. You can buy the vinyl version. There is like at the BBC vinyl box set with three vinyl wow it's like 60 bucks like yeah the music is very much accessible you get on youtube very much accessible yeah so i feel like um in that way universal music group is doing a good job keeping her legacy alive now all the stuff with her her parents yikes i don't know right (laughs) i will say uh that they created a amy winehouse foundation for musicians and those who are struggling with addiction issues. But fans, let me know if that is a hot mess. Yeah. Um, I only know what I just read. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so let, let let us know if they're pulling a Pat Houston for that one. But what do you think the impact and the legacy of this album era is? Mm, okay, so I think the British invasion following and also happening around the same time when Amy was huge like that is a direct effect from her success mm-hmm. because because of Amy Winehouse's success, like record labels at that time, they were like on the hunt for their own Amy Winehouse. Yeah, absolutely. And that tends, that's like a trend. Uh, girl group becomes popular. Then the other labels want to find their own girl group. A similar idea. So that's when, you know, you see like the Duffy and Adele yeah, and Floors of the Machine. Like right. they're all kind of there as the, the byproduct of Amy Winehouse's success during this time. Yeah. I found here a quote from a chart manager for Billboard. Mm-hmm. It's a guy named Keith Caulfield. And he said, because of Amy or the lack thereof, 
the marketplace was able to get singers like Adele, Estelle, and Duffy. Now, those ladies have brought on the new ones like Eliza Doolittle, Rumor, and Ellie Goulding. Mm -hmm. And it just marked where music was and was going at the time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think like all of those women that came after AV, it's like they're in a way like indebted to her, you know? Absolutely. And one of those women is Adele. You know how much Amy means to me? Like, yeah. Frank, that record is more important to me than like Back to Black is for most other people. Yeah. Um, it's the whole reason I picked up a guitar. Yeah. And it's one of the most heartbreaking things of, of being an artist, of never ever being able to hear one of your favorite artists' voice well, in real time peer. again. So we kind of talked about it a little bit in part one, but it is interesting to kind of chart Adele's rise and prominence in the absence of Amy Winehouse. Yeah. Because what year did 21 come out? That was like 2011, 2011, right? Yes. That's the year Amy Winehouse died. Right, exactly. And then 21 became... Huge. The phenom yeah. that it was. Right. Comparable to Back to Black, for sure. I mean, I would still... Like, I think Adele and Amy, even though there are similarities, they are both artistically different. Yeah. Like, you know, we said, like, Adele was definitely more mainstream and more, like, sing-songy yeah. in a way that Amy, she wants to be, you know, doing her own thing. Right, right, right. In her jazz world. Yeah. I think Adele was more willing to play the, quote-unquote, industry game in a way that Amy Winehouse was not. Yeah, yeah. Like, there are differences there, but they are connected in some way. Um, and I think when you listen to Adele's 30, yeah, that's a descendant of Back to Black. Yeah. Let me see. I, I was looking at this interview. It was from like the AV Club around the time when Adele's 30 came out. 30 feels like a thank you to Amy Winehouse and the mark she made on music. 30 digs into the arrangements that lean more toward jazz and soul. Adele let her vocals loose more often mm -hmm. in free-forming runs. And that's what Amy was doing on Back to Black. A lot of Amy's lyrics funny. were fucking funny, funny and well. really clever. Yeah. Like really, and a play on words yeah. and all of that. And I, 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 could, I, I think there's definitely some of that going on in there. Mm. Um, like, you know, and it was just sort of, you know, people always sort of try and take the piss out of her. No one took the piss out of Amy better than herself. Totally. You know, she was, she's one of the greatest British artists of all time. Yeah, I agree with everything you said in terms of like her impact. I would have to say that in terms of the modern British invasion, had it not been for Corinne Bailey Ray or Amy Winehouse, it would not look the way it looked for all the upcoming artists. Even with like the newer artists like Flo, you know, Little Mix, we wouldn't have them without the Corinne Bailey Rays and the Amy Winehouses, but then the Duffies, the Adeles, the yeah. Estelles everybody that you just named so she's she's pretty important it's hard um or like we don't say this often but like in terms of like a younger diva the impact is huge she has a huge huge impact in terms of american pop culture british pop culture and what she did yeah and it's like crazy to think like you know she dies so young like we said earlier yeah. she's part of that line of women female artists who have a tragic end even though they had like a lot going for themselves at one point like life and lots of things just take over so she's part of that lineage but it's crazy to think that like despite the fact that she died at the age of 27 she had a lot of impact and it was really like yeah off of that I mean not to say that Frank isn't a good album it is a good album but like 
back to black like that's her big right album absolutely at least she was you know she was able to make that but it's also it leads to that question of like but at what cost at what cost yeah yeah and i was even gonna say like i'm happy that she saw like some award yeah from her project yeah because i don't know i don't know if this sounds selfish but um it makes me feel like at least it was worth something and she saw the worth of it like the tangible worth yeah of her project i guess in hindsight is a grammy worth your life like of course not right but like yeah it goes back to like at what cost and even when she won the grammy it's like she was there but like how there was she if she's thinking about how it would be better if she was high during that yeah win so very true so finish the sentence amy winehouse's back to black album is the album that blank Ooh, i would just keep it simple i'd say amy's back to black is the album that makes me miss amy winehouse because you're just like oh amy mm. you know yeah it doesn't feel like i mean for all of like selena nalia and her it yeah. doesn't feel finished but it's like like i wonder like where she would have gone yeah you know absolutely absolutely i'm gonna keep mine simple too amy winehouse's back to black album is the album that gave us a perfect slice of her genius Ooh. and i wish we got a bit more of that yeah totally in the future totally yeah. yeah what would she have been writing about when she was in her 40s you know oh oh my gosh I, and then like has she survived that era yeah and then talking about it in me oh my gosh yeah oh my lanta she lived yeah. i mean she she like clearly lived but like by that point she like really lived you yeah. know so she lived lived yeah yeah we only We did, we did it. it. We finally did it, you guys. Oh my, oh my god, this was a long time coming. Yes. But we got to the last page of the Google Doc. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we got through it. Thank you guys. If you guys are still here at the end of this episode, thank you guys for listening. Steffi, where can the people find you if they want to talk? Amy Winehouse. Well, you can find me at INN underscore MHO on Twitter and Instagram and In My Humble Opinion on YouTube. And you can find me on Twitter at PoetrySoul3 and on Instagram at Angie.Simone. Again, thank you for listening to this whole episode. Thank you for listening to us, for taking the time. If you're interested in following us or you want to reach out in any way, you can find us on social media at Diva Daily's Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok, or email us at divadailyspod at gmail.com. If you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, don't forget to rate and review us. If you like us, subscribe. With Amy, this concludes yes. our last album of series. So yes. hopefully you guys enjoyed this. Yes. Um, we know it was a bit of a downer. It was. Thanks, Jade. No, just kidding. <laughs> but, but, but thank you, Jade, for the suggestion on the theme, even though it was yes. sad. I think 
I think it turned out good. Like, I think this was a good no, discussion good. to have about these divas who are no longer here with us and just talking about how when they die, how that impacts the the album, yeah. but also the way we perceive them as like artists and divas. So mm-hmm. important discussion. Question for you. Yeah. What was the saddest episode for you to record? Oh, Selena, by far. Oh, yeah, me too. Because guys, it's still y- fuck Yolanda started, yeah. in this house. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we were doing the album. Like, I was just like, man, this is about to be just listening to the album. I was like, man, that was sad. And then when we talked oh. about her, oh my God. Oh my gosh. Fuck yeah. Yolanda Saldivar. <laughs> Say it with us, listeners. Fuck Yolanda Saldivar. <laughs> and that's all who? Selena Quintanilla. Yes. What? <laughs> yes. Okay, you guys. Um, so before we throw it back to the episode, I just want to give you guys a heads up that when we recorded this, Andrea and I, we didn't really know what the next episode was going to be, but we do now because we've recorded those episodes and they're ready to go. So next week, we are officially done with last album of Divas, and we are going to be celebrating the very special 25th anniversary of an iconic album. Andrew, do you want to tell people what the album is? Oh my gosh, you guys. This is a classic. I mean, like the classic. One hit wonder, question mark. It's essentially a one hit wonder type of album. Uh-huh. It is. <laughs> Yo, remember yeah. back on the bully when cats used to harmonize yeah. like. <laughs> Yo. 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 The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill. By Lauren Hill. And it's such a huge album that we're actually dividing our episode where we talk about the album and dissect it track by track. That's separated into two different episodes. So this is technically a three-parter episode because when Angie and I recorded us just talking about the album, it was literally over two hours long. Yeah. Just a raw conversation. So we're dividing that into two parts so it won't be like too much to listen to at once. But um, yeah, we're really excited to get into Lauren Hill because, I mean, she's Lauren Hill. And this is a huge album. Yeah, it is the album. Okay, well, now we're going to throw it back to us ending the episode. So here we go. <laughs> well, yes, like like Steffi said, I hope you guys enjoyed this era of episodes. Until the next one. And remember, divas. So the thing is, a diva has to be good at what she does. <laughs>